Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Are you excited about our summer launch for life groups? Let's hear it. Awesome. Got crazy this morning on my shirt. I'm going to show you what uh, being one flesh with your spouse looks like. Okay. I got dressed while Serena was asleep this morning. And by, the, and by the spirit, she knew. Serena, stand up so I can see the jacket. We're matchies today. So just so you know. It's just different from one degree of glory to the next. Next thing you know, you're wearing the same clothing. Praise God. All right, let's pray and then we're going to get started. I'm excited. I'm going talk to talk to you this morning about the power in us. And uh, I'm excited. And hopefully I actually preach my notes this service. Eight o'clock service, I didn't preach my notes, but it was still good. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together today and a, a place to praise your name and lift up our voice without fear. And Lord, we remember this morning all of our persecuted family around the globe. They can't come together in boldness and, and, and say your, your name loudly or worship loudly out of fear of being found out. And Father, we remember the persecuted church this morning. Father, may we never take our freedoms for granted. May we never allow the safety and security that we have in this country to be something that turns us quiet or complacent. But I pray, Lord, that we would use what we've been given and steward it well. The freedoms that we have, we would become more bold for the gospel, I pray. Father, I pray that we would become more bold in speaking forth the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that greater things are yet to come. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about the power in us. And it would only be fitting, since it's Life Group launch, to do a message around community and the importance of Christian community. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. And uh, I want to start just with this title, is the power of us. And I think that a lot of times there's a focus and an emphasis for us, especially in, in the church world that we live in and being of the charismatic persuasion. And all I mean by that is that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that Jesus is still in the miracle working business, that that didn't die and pass away with the last apostle, but that God is still moving in the earth today and Jesus is still moving and Jesus isn't into out-of-body experiences. Jesus moves in and through his body. And how many of you know that you and I that have made a decision to follow him, we're a part of his body. And we're empowered by his Holy Spirit to engage in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that healing, signs, and wonders are a part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. How about you? All right, amen. I got a better response at the eight o'clock. What's up with you guys? Come on, leave it up. You've got time to, to wake up this morning. So a lot of times there can be a focus on the power in us. And I, and I believe that. I believe that we need to have an understanding of the power that's in us as the individual believer and what God wills to do through our lives. But I believe that there is an even greater extension or a greater understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's whenever we come into understanding the power of us. All right. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning. Not just the power in us as individual believers, but the power of us when we come together as a life-giving Christian community and we have the power to truly touch our cities, our states, I believe our nations, 
and uh, in our world. And that's what we're gonna do. So the power of us. How many of you can agree with this statement? Jesus is the head of the church. Yeah, if you're gonna do it, let's do it right. Let's clap. Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus is the head of this church and any church that is following the teachings of Christ and is submitting to, we're gonna see some key core principles and the design of Christ for his church. But I believe that Jesus is the head of the global church. Any church that's professing the name of Jesus, that's following the Holy Spirit, that's ascribing to the core tenets of the Christian faith, I believe Jesus is the chief officer of the church. I believe that we're an extension of his body, but Jesus is the head of his body, amen? So I believe that as the head of the church, that Jesus wants a church that understands the power in us. And more specifically this morning, the power in us, but the power of us when we come together. I talked to you a few weeks ago about a Christ-centered marriage. How many of you were here when I talked about Christ-centered marriage? And I, made, and I made a case that if we're two Christians in a marriage relationship, that we need to be looking to Christ and to what the scriptures say regarding our marriage and how to grow a healthy marriage, not looking to the philosophies and teachings and opinions of the world concerning marriage. I think the same thing's true in the spiritual marriage that we have between Christ and his church. I believe that Jesus as head of his church wants us to understand the power that's possible and that's capable in a community of people. But I believe the same way that Christ and the scriptures show us a design and God's will for marriage. I believe that Christ and the scriptures have a design and show us heaven's blueprint for what the church is supposed to look like. I believe if we wanna see best practice in regards to the way that a church should function, we first and foremost have to look to the scriptures. Is everybody okay with that? So let's take a look at that this morning. Acts chapter two. I believe that in Acts two, that we truly do have heaven's blueprint for what church is supposed to be and how church is supposed to function. So we're gonna get into Acts two this morning and this will pretty much be where we hang out for the next 30 minutes. But I wanna be sure before we get here that I give you a little bit of context about what the events are that have transpired that have taken us up to this point in church history, right? So to do this, we have to really take a look at Acts chapter one. So in Acts chapter one, we see that Jesus has died. We see that Jesus has raised again. How many of you know that Jesus didn't stay dead? He's alive. He's alive right now and ruling and reigning. Jesus died participated in the crucifixion. He absorbed all the sins of humanity into himself and his one stance and posture now toward the world is one of reconciliation and love. God wills that all would be saved. Scriptures tell us that he's not slow concerning his promises as human beings count slowness, but his will is that all would be saved. Everybody say all. All All would be saved. And Jesus wants his church to carry that message forth into the world, all right? Jesus has died, he's raised again, but he hasn't yet ascended to the Father. And he's appeared to the disciples on numerous occasions and he's teaching them things about the kingdom of God. He's connecting the dots, even in regards to what the Old Testament scriptures speak of and him being the fulfillment of all those things. How many of you know that the Bible does one thing infallibly, inerrantly and without fault and that is points us to Jesus. The book is made to put us in touch with the author, amen? So Jesus is doing that. He's allowing at that time, the scriptures being only Old Covenant, only New Old Testament. 
and he's explaining to the disciples over this period of time that he's with them post-resurrection about the kingdom of God. And he's connecting the dots. He's preparing them for a life of ministry. How many of you know that for the believer, ministry is not a title, it's a lifestyle? All right, being a witness of Jesus is not a duty you perform, it's a life that you live. Because people can argue opinions and doctrines and philosophies all day long, but nobody can argue with the life that you live in front of them on a daily basis. Nobody can argue with that, all right? So Jesus is preparing the disciples for ministry, for their, for their time to be sent forth into the earth. And we see in numerous occasions at the end of many of the gospels, a commission of sorts, all right? I'm a card-carrying charismatic, so I like the commission in Mark the best. And these will be the signs that follow those that believe. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll heal the sick. They'll raise the dead, all right? All that kind of stuff. I like that one. That's good. And then there's other commissions that say you'll go forth in all the world and you'll make disciples and you'll baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which one of the commissions is the right one? Man, you guys are smart. All of them. It's all of them. I love whenever Jesus got asked questions by religious people and he tried to pin them down. It was like, okay, Jesus, is it choice A or choice B? Most of the time, Jesus is like, it's C, all the above, or it's C, neither of those responses are correct. I love that. That's the way that Jesus is. You know, Jesus is smarter than you are. But the good news is, is that if you're a new covenant believer, you've been given the mind of Christ. So we have the ability to access heaven's blueprints for our lives, for our homes, our families, and for our churches because of this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us the mind of Christ, all right? And Jesus knows this. So Jesus tells the disciples, before you go out and fulfill the commission that I've given to you, he says, I need you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. After that will be, it's the Holy Spirit that's coming upon you is what he says. Man, I wish that the church world at large would take a lesson from the Bible and not make a point of trying to win anybody for Jesus until they've got the Holy Spirit. You ever see people standing on the street corners with the bullhorns and the signs that God hates everybody? Yeah. You ever talk to any of those people? They're not really successful in seeing people come to Jesus. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit renews our minds to not just what the scriptures say, but what they mean? And the scriptures have meaning whenever they move into a place of application in our life. They move into meaning. I've had people ask me, you know, Pastor Zach, what's the best way to read the Bible? I said, well, you need to quit reading it. You need to start eating it. (laughs) Because until it becomes a part of who you are, we're going to deny the ability for it to have the effect and power on ourselves and the world around us. I think that before the church goes into communities and tries to win people for Jesus, they should spend time in the upper room and be saturated with the presence of God. That's what I believe. Because this is what I know, is that I know that the people that stand on the street corners and shout about how angry God is are not even in alignment with the scripture. The scripture says that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The scripture says this, that there's a primary way by which people come to repentance. And last time I read the book, and it doesn't change very often, right? And even when you read different translations, it's still conveying the same message. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Do you want to know how to really fear the Lord and live a lifestyle of fearing the Lord? You need to be afraid of how good he is. The reason I live a life in fear and obedience to God is because how much he loves me makes me fearful. (laughs) I'm not loved like that in any other relationship in my life, and that causes fear and trembling to come over me. 
His goodness is the thing that has the ability to cause not only the powers of darkness to shake in their boots, but the hardest hearts of the coldest sinners to shake in their boots and give their lives to God. It's always the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And Jesus knows this. He says, I ain't gonna, I'm actually going to need you to be totally drunk with my love before you go out into this world. And I know that word causes a lot of different connotations. And uh, the word drunk, you know, people have grown up in homes where alcohol was abused and there's, there's thoughts of drunkenness and alcohol and all these different kinds of things. And I'm gonna make a case for you in the scriptures today that God wants to redeem our understanding of even drunkenness. He wants to redeem our understanding of what it means when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, but more importantly, what happens when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a community of people. All right. So Jesus says, before you go out into the world, I need you, I need you to be covered. I need you to be drunk. I need you to be totally saturated in my Holy Spirit. All right, everybody okay with that? So there's about 120 plus, plus the disciples. So there's 120 in the, together with the disciples is what I mean. In the upper room, so this, this, this room, this wedding place in Jerusalem. And how many of you know that after the day of Pentecost had fully come, that the Holy Spirit came into that place with the sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire appeared on the heads of all the believers that were gathered there. And they spoke with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And the people that were nearby heard the goodness of God and the glory of God and the message of grace preached to them in their own language through this speaking of other tongues. And the people that were watching this said one specific thing about the 120. They said, these men are filled with new wine. Okay. All right. I'm going to tell you again. If you, if you need to read this, you can open up the Bible, Acts chapter 1, and you can read this and carry over into Acts 2 as I'm saying these things to you. The first thing they suspected them to be was drunk. Why did they expect, why did they, why did they, why is the first thing they noticed about them was that they were acting like they were drunk? Well, it's because they were acting like they were drunk. That's why. They didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't notice that they were being, that they were, uh, that they were great scholars. They didn't notice that they had all this, uh, you know, super attractive, uh, charismatic personality. They didn't notice their clothes. They didn't notice their hairstyle. They didn't notice that they were all free from tattoos. They noticed that they were drunk. That's what they noticed. And they were ready to write them off. And they were ready to take a legitimate Holy Spirit encounter and illegitimize it because it didn't match their expectation. Welcome to religion today. Legitimate Holy Spirit encounter that doesn't match what my logic thinks it should be, so I label it as kooky. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing that I wanna be able to tell you right now and for you to understand is that God wants to redeem our understanding of drunkenness, and this is what I wanna tell you. There's a reason why God told them to wait in the upper room until they received power from on high after the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's time for honesty in the house this morning. Anybody ever been inebriated on something besides the Holy Spirit? You don't have to raise your hand, just be honest in your heart. 
It's the old man. We're not going to talk about him very long, but you just need to remember there was a time that you possibly may have been inebriated, influenced under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when people are drunk in the natural, there are no shy people? When people are drunk in the natural, they don't meet strangers. When people are drunk in the natural off of wine or whatever your poison is, they have a level of boldness about them. People do the most ridiculous, stupid things in boldness whenever they're inebriated. Do you know the fear of man totally goes away whenever you're inebriated? Do you know the fear of consequence totally goes away whenever you're inebriated? Why do you think that God would want to give the New Covenant Church the wine of the Holy Spirit? Why do you think he would want to do that? He would want to do that so that whenever you go into Walmart, you don't meet strangers. He would want to do that so whenever the Holy Spirit prompts you to stop and pray, there's no fear of rejection. The Holy Spirit would want to do that so that when you're in your unbelieving family, you can't shut up about talking about Jesus. I don't care. (laughs) Because I'm drunk on his love. I'm drunk on his goodness. I'm influenced by a power outside of this world. Let me tell you, that's great in the individual believer's life, but let me tell you the power that happens whenever it's the nature of a community of believers. Man, that would be a community that could take an entire city for Jesus. That might be one of the ways that we're a church for a city. You can't be a a church for a city and still have a sober reminder of your prejudices against other people. You can't be a church for a city and still have a sobering prejudice toward the reason why I don't do life group is because I was hurt that one time 10 years ago. You can't be a church for a city and for people when you have a sobering reminder of the people that you've trusted and all the betrayals that have come. The only way for you to move into a place of power is for you to allow yourself to be totally intoxicated by the love of God on a a daily basis in and out. And everywhere you go, there's not a remembrance of the past because all there is is an overwhelming experience of his goodness in the right now. Whenever people are drunk in the natural, they love to hang out with each other. We used to do it all the time. Drinking alone is sad. You want to drink together. You know what I would love to see? Life groups this summer that go from house to house. (laughs) Feasting on the body of Christ and drinking of the wine of God. That's what I would love to see. And the reason I would love to see it is not because I'm a card-carrying charismatic, it's because I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And I'm gonna show it to you from the scriptures. Okay, I talk to a lot of charismatic people because that's most of us that I hang out with. And they always tell me stuff like, brother, we gotta get back to the book of Acts church. We gotta get back to the power of the book of Acts church. Most charismatic people, what they mean by that is they mean a moment, a, more, a moment or a miracle. Because the Pentecost experience for them is the tongues of fire and the mighty rushing wind. How many of you know you can't have Pentecost without it? 
but Pentecost isn't whole until we see Acts 2. So as charismatic, as charismatic people that believe in the supernatural power of God, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, praise God, I got 45 minutes left. This is awesome. And you can't, you can't just focus on the moment when the miracle manifested, because here's the thing about it. God doesn't desire a company of people that are just focused on moments or miracles. He actually desires a community of people that are able to sustain the momentum of the miraculous. I'm gonna tell you one more time. God doesn't desire a company of people that are just focused on a miracle or a moment. Those are the people that can tell you what God did in 1945. Don't, I appreciate what God did in 1945, but we live in 2018. So I believe that God wants a company of people and you've heard pastors say it this way before, that we don't want a company of people in Victor Life Church that just is a place where the Holy Spirit visits, we want a place where the Holy Spirit habitates. That's what we want, all right? And the way that we do that is we gotta understand this, okay? A lot of people focus on a moment or a miracle and they miss the principles that God's given us to be able to steward what we've received well. I have news for you this morning it's not good news for some of us, but a lot of us receive things we can't sustain. If you have money problems and you're terrible at managing your money and I give you a million dollars, I believe I receive the ability to give you a million dollars one day. But if I give you a million dollars, how many of you know that won't fix your money problems? Because if you have no money and you're $100,000 in debt, if I give you a million dollars, you're gonna be in a million dollars in debt. The Holy Spirit is like that million dollars. You can receive him into your life, but that doesn't mean you know what to do with him. That means you don't know how to host him. That doesn't mean you know what it's for. I talked to God one time about revival, and I used to be one of those people. I'm sad to admit it, but I used to be one of those people that would pray for revival. If you're still praying for revival, I love you, but you're wrong. Jesus told me, don't pray for revival, live revival. I, I used to be one of those people. I would pray, Holy Spirit, come. And then God told me one day, I didn't leave. <laughs> I didn't go back after the day of Pentecost. And so now I only come out, you know, when we play the right song or people get goosebumps and all those kinds of things. So I stopped praying those prayers. And I started praying things like, and the reason why I started praying things like is because I entered into a fellowship. I, I, I submitted to some good teaching. How many of you know that this house has good teaching? You better say amen, because I'm preaching right now. Good teaching. And entered into fellowship, and this is really what I'm going to talk about today, is this fellowship. And I entered into this place of understanding what the body of the Lord is, not just in the act of communion, but how to engage with the body of the Lord between you and I and one another. And I hung out with people that knew not just how to pray, but they knew how to pray the prayers. 21 days of prayers coming up tomorrow. Seven o'clock in the morning, I'll be here. How about you? All right, about five of you, praise God. The, spirit, the spirit's willing, pastor, but the flesh is weak. All right, well, you're supposed to not have flesh anymore anyway. You're supposed to be a new man, so live by the spirit. And the prayers, the prayers. Do you know that whenever Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray the way John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray, Jesus didn't say, well, just pray however you want. Just pray what you feel. The worst advice you can give somebody is pray what they feel. Because you're teaching, and you, if you tell people to live by faith and not by feeling, but then tell them to pray how they feel, you're a hypocrite. That's not true. That's wrong. It says the prayers for a reason. Do you know that Jesus, when he was asked to teach his disciples to pray, he didn't say just pray however you want. 
Do you know Jesus was totally saturated with the Holy Spirit? You know Jesus was totally drunk on the love of God all the time, all right? Jesus was fun to be around, amen? But Jesus didn't say, well, just be always. I'm not saying there's not a room for spontaneity in prayer. There is. But he didn't say, just follow the Spirit in your prayer. He didn't even say that. Are you okay? I come down there, but we don't, the lights won't the point down there. You won't be able to see me. Right? I look better up here. You look better up here too. I took my glasses off. You look really good. All right? So here's the thing I want to be able to tell you is that the prayers, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach him how to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father. That one phrase will forever change your prayer life. A lot of people don't deepen their prayer life and aren't hungry to talk to God because they still see God as divine ultimate sky boss. They see God as the angry figure, you know, white face, no facial features on the throne, ready to throw people into hell. Jesus came to clear up our concepts about God now and forever. God sought fit in this time to once and for all totally speak through his son, Jesus Christ. And I've got good news for you this morning, friend. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Praise God. So good, I'm spitting this morning. You come stand on here, you get healed if I spit on you. Listen. You'll see the Father, our Father, just that one phrase totally changes the paradigm in how we're being able to relate to God. The power of the Holy Spirit comes, but listen to me, listen to me very carefully. The power of the Holy Spirit doesn't come to make us free from principles. We're just not supposed to have principles without the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the order in which they came. The Holy Spirit came and baptized them all in his presence. And then the church moved into a place of sustaining the momentum of the miraculous through devoting themselves to four key principles. Religion is whenever we have this with no Holy Ghost. Because religion is what's left whenever the Holy Spirit leaves the building. Okay? It's the presence of God first. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life first. But if you're following the Spirit, you will be led into a desire to submit yourself to the apostles' teaching. Listen, this isn't submitting yourself totally because Paul addressed this. A lot of people think apostles and they think whoever bears this, this specific title in the church world today. I got news for you. There's people that bear this title in the church world today in front of their name and they're the farthest thing from that. Paul said, don't say you're of Paul or you're of Apollos, you're of Christ. What we're talking about here is sound doctrine revealed to us by the scriptures. The message of the apostles, the fathers of the church that say these are the tenets of what we believe. That's why Victor Life Church, our statement of belief is the apostles creed. It's because that's what we confess we believe, all right? So this apostle teaching, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and following the presence of God, you will crave good teaching. You will crave fellowship. Not just any kind of fellowship, but the fellowship. I'm gonna go to this in just a second. You will crave partaking of the meal of the Lord with each other and on your own. You will crave prayer. Not just praying your complaints, but learning to pray the word of God. Learning what it means to pray the way that Jesus did. You know, whenever Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the things that he, that he prayed 
A lot of people think it was a complaint or it was a moan or it was the flesh coming through because of all the sin and those kinds of things. But Jesus prayed something when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that that is a line of a prayer from one of the Psalms? Do you know that Jesus had been led by the Holy Spirit into unpacking? The Psalms are the prayer book for the church. That's what they are. When Jesus was on the cross, how many of you know that whenever pressings and affliction comes in your life, that's what draws what's on the inside of you out? And I think it's a beautiful thing that in his most pressed state, what God released, what God in Christ released to the world was a prayer from the Psalms. That's a beautiful thing. Teaching for another day. All right, so let's move on here. The fellowship. Pastor uh, Dwayne's got amazing teaching on Koinonia Fellowship. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to make a case and a point that following the Holy Spirit, all right, when the Holy Spirit, let me tell you this way, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, the thing that happens is, is it draws you into a community, all right? So this type of community fellowship we're supposed to have is this koinonia fellowship. Now I'm gonna say a phrase that'll make you very uncomfortable whenever I say it, but hey, that's what church is for, amen? So I'm gonna say a phrase. This koinonia fellowship, if you look at this in the Greek, what this actually means is this phrase, social intercourse. Anybody else get really, feel weird about that besides me? If you don't, if you don't read, read, the Bi- read the Bible and ever feel weird, you're not reading the Bible. There's a bunch of weird stuff in the Bible, all right? But you gotta see it after the spirit, not after the carnal mind. Let me tell you, if you're married, this is only if you're married, all right? Don't give yourself away. But is intercourse in a marriage supposed to be done in public or at home? Man, you didn't answer that question good enough. Man, we need an altar call right now. I need like the SWAT ministry team. Where are you guys at? We got some people that need some help with this. All right, so next screen here. All right, uh, well, yes, back one more real quick. So this Koinonia fellowship, all right, I got news for you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was, was poured out on individual people. The Spirit of God would come upon a prophet and he would prophesy. The Spirit of God would come upon a patriarch of the church and he would get some kind of a revelation. That's Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's poured out on on an entire community, right? But it's the same Holy Spirit. We have communion with each other through the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of who? Jesus, all right. Now, I wanna show you out of 1 Corinthians really quick, all right? that this word for koinonia that we read and really talking about life group, that's really what I want us to focus on is this fellowship, this specific type of fellowship that the church is called to enter into, not by my opinion or by any others, anybody else's opinion, but by what the scriptures say. And if we're gonna let Jesus be head of his church, then we need to follow the design that he's left for us. And koinonia fellowship is one of these things. This passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this word communion here, is actually the word koinonia. Now in this context, uh, this isn't like the communion, the Eucharist, the, the table of the Lord. This word communion is actually, if you were to break it down, it's not as cool, but it actually means like participation in. The, the thing that, that we participate in that has this co-union that unites us. And Paul does this illustration that this cup of blessing that we bless, talking about the Lord's table, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Everybody say Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the koinonia, the fellowship, all right, this social 
uh, intercourse, this thing that connects us one to each other of the body of Christ. Everybody say Christ. For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Church, who is the bread that came down from heaven? Jesus, and when, you're, when you move into this place of Holy Spirit-filled relationship with God, there's Christ in you, but how many of you know that if my neighbor is in Holy Spirit-filled relationship with God, there's Christ in them too? And the thing that we're mutually partaking of is the bread of heaven, the bread of the Lord, the bread of Jesus Christ. And what we have to learn to do is through this koinonia fellowship, intimately share that life of Christ with each other. Listen to me, in the corporate gathering like this, which I'm gonna show you out of Acts 2, 46, is what we mean when the apostles attended the temple together. We can't have that social intercourse, that intimate sharing of the life of Christ with each other, that can't happen with a group this big. There's no way. That's like trying to have prime rib dinner with this many people. I mean, you know, it's expensive, it's chaotic, and by the time some people get the prime rib, it's gonna be cold, and there ain't nothing worse than cold prime rib. (laughs) But if I have a group of 10 or 12, everybody gets the meal, it's still hot, don't they? And if we try to have real life-giving conversation around the dinner table with 600 people, how many of you know what's naturally gonna happen is about four or five of us are gonna get into pockets at the table and we're just gonna start talking to each other. As the church, we're at this mutual elongated table, which is the banquet of the Lord. And Jesus wills for your life to be a perpetual love feast. I know that makes some of you nervous, but I gotta tell you that I want everything that Jesus paid to give me. And Jesus didn't pay for me just to scrape by with crumbs. He paid for me a banquet that I need to sit at and I need to be drunk on his love and I need to be filled with his body and I need to be learning how to engage in coining a fellowship with the five or 10 people around me. We call that at Victory Life Church Life Group. I need to know your story because you have a piece of Christ in you that I don't have. When you come to partake of the Lord's body, a few Wednesdays ago, we did it from one loaf and we broke off pieces. And how many of you know, especially if you went to my wife's line that was serving communion, not all of you got the same size chunk of bread. (laughs) Let me tell you what, my wife understands what it is about this love feast that we have in God. I gotta tell you, she was giving out chunks of bread. I thought we're gonna have to pass the cold cut tray around. The sandwich of the Lord broken for you. That's what I thought was gonna happen. I mean, she had these chunks of bread and people were going back to their chairs and they were feeling bad because they said, well, the Lord's body's been broken once. I can't break it again at my chair. So I saw people stuffing huge chunks of bread in their mouth and you may partake. And my wife loves people so much. She loves the animals too. She left all kinds of crumbs all over the floor. And the mice were coming to partake of the body of the Lord. I tell you, it was a beautiful thing. All of creation was coming. How many of you know that when we come together in Koinonia Fellowship in the communion of the saints, sharing the life of Christ with one another in social intercourse, which is supposed to be in small groups, private settings, that all of us are partaking of the same loaf, but your story is a different piece of the bread than mine is, even though it's coming from the same loaf. The sip that you get of the cup is a different sip than I get. 
it's the same wine, but it's a different sip. And there's no way for me to properly appreciate that. There's no way for me to be moved by your story. There's no way for me to begin to know exactly what you need prayer for. I can tell you that Pastor Duane and mine, our heart for this campus is this, that each of you would be known by name, prayed for daily, and that you're cared for well. Okay, we do as good a job as we can in making sure that a pastor comes and sees you if you're in the hospital. There's a lot of you guys. There's like four of us that can go to the hospital. All right, are you following me? And we're good at it. And most of the stuff we find out about on Facebook now. And so if we find out about Facebook, we'll do a call, we'll do a visit. But let me tell you something. With the amount of people that I have to care for, like the most you're possibly gonna get from me is like maybe a visit, a phone call, and like a fruit basket, if I remember to tell Jody. (laughs) That's a blessing. But let me talk to you about a story that came to me from a couple semesters ago. There was a lady in the body who had to have this surgery that was gonna make her uh, immobile, some kind of back surgery, or I forget the details on that, but she was gonna have to be on bed rest. And we did send somebody to pray for her in the hospital, but by the time we got there, we were like the 10th person that had come to pray because her life group, her Koinonia Fellowship group had already been there. And, and whenever we got there, it was like, well, I'm glad that you came, but my life group's come. I was like, well, good for your life group. That's awesome. And then, and then we left and we prayed, we blessed her, that's great. But check this out, whenever she got home, her life group had arranged for her to have a paid, paid in full cleaning service for her house while she recovered. Not only that, they had a whole week's worth of meals planned to deliver to her house. That's a whole new level of care. That's a koinonia type caring for each other that Christ wills for you to be able to have. How many of you know that if you haven't been drunk on the love of God, and if you've had major surgery, and you get home and you've got somebody coming to clean your house for a month and bring you meals every day of the week, man, you're probably gonna be drunk on God's love for you because it was manifested through a company of people. The book of Acts, this is my, one of my riffs when I talk to people, and I love Facebook and hate Facebook at the same time. I got like this bipolar relationship with Facebook. I don't know what to think about it sometimes. But I saw this lady and bless her heart, but she posted the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life the other day. And she said something about, you need to be careful of churches that have a lot of people going to them. Because she said, because she said the truth doesn't draw crowds. I said, woman, I didn't say this. Have you ever read the Bible? Jesus was the truth made flesh and he drew a crowd everywhere that he went. And, and, listen, and listen to me here, people say, well, you know, you're just not gonna be able to really connect and have fellowship in a mega church because it's so big. Let me tell you, some people think we're a mega church. I know we got a lot of people, but I've been to mega churches that are a lot bigger than us. But let me tell you something. Our desire here is that we would grow larger and smaller at the same time so that you have the ability to connect to a group and for you to be able to have that, and it's scriptural. I feel that, man, I gotta be careful with this, because I'm not saying that we're the only ones doing it right, but what I am saying is that the model that we've implemented is not something that we just pulled out of the sky, it's something that we feel is revealed to us by the scripture, and I can tell you in the book of Acts that when Peter preached the first Holy Ghost-filled sermon, you get one at least twice a week at this church, but when he preached the first Holy Spirit-filled sermon, 3,000 people got added to the church in one day. I'd call that a mega church. 
I'd say that, that, that by the standards of that day, that was, let me tell you something. God has always willed for his church to be a mega church. He's willed for his church to be mega in love for its community. He's willed for his church to be mega in fellowship, actually loving each other, to be mega in its revelation of the world, to be mega in its impact. I've never met a Christian one that believes that the church is supposed to have zero impact and zero community in the world. Let me tell you, Christianity is not about hiding behind a perfect world of inner ideals and disciplines. It's about living from heaven to earth with real impact and real influence. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is about. Nobody would tell you the church is supposed to have zero impact or zero influence. They just wanna interpret what that impact's supposed to be apart from what the word of God says. And that's ridiculous. And we're not gonna do that at Victory Life Church, amen? All right, good. So church is not just about going to hear a sermon, it's about learning how to share our lives with each other. That's what church is about. Church is about learning how to share our lives with each other. If we can, really quick, can we go to the slide that's uh, Acts 2, 46? I wanna show you this. And day by day, attending the temple together, that's what we're doing right now. Everybody check that off their list. Look at this. And breaking bread, koinonia fellowship in their homes. Let me tell you one of the signs of the Holy Spirit being active in a community. You actually wanna spend time with the people in the room when you're not in the room. I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago. He said, you know, I think the biggest thing that the church runs into today is that for the majority of churchgoers who they're friends with are people that are totally outside of the church. He said their friend unit who they go to for counsel, for fellowship, for encouragement are, and listen, there's nothing wrong. I'm not downing an evangelism bent to your life and reaching the lost, but I can tell you that if your friend network is not directly connected to the people that you are consistently with in this room week to week to week, you're not maximizing the power of what church has the ability to be. I love that my close inner working of friends, my life group, the people I have Koinonia Fellowship are the people that I go to the temple with as well. I love that. I don't think that's being exclusive or restrictive. I think that's the design of God for the churchgoer. But I believe that these communities would get so good at what they do that they would be testimonies in their communities of what a functional family is supposed to be like. Listen to me, everybody wants to be a part of a functional family. Everybody wants to be connected to family. God says he takes the lonely and he puts them into families. And there's one thing that Jesus said in regards to how the world would know that we were his followers. The one real way that the rest of the world would know that this church of Jesus Christ is something that you wanna get in on. And he said this, it'll be because of the love that they have one for another. There's a lot of things he could have said. He could have said because they'll walk on water. He could have said because they'll speak in tongues. He could have said because they'll levitate around. They won't ever have to drive a car. They'll just float everywhere they go. But he said it'll be because of the love that they have one for another. You wanna reach a community for Jesus? reach out to the people you're sitting next to in community first. I'm gonna tell you one more time. If you wanna reach a community for Jesus, reach out to the people you're sitting next to in this house for community first. All right? 
and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Why? Because they were so messed up, drunk on the love of God. They were happy, happy, happy all the time and praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number. Man, I'm gonna prophesy this over Victory Life Durant, that God will add to our number day by day those who were being saved because here we made a decision to spend time together in the temple and in Koinia Fellowship through our life groups this semester. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise God. Awesome. Let's go ahead and uh, have the ministry teams come, every head bowed, every eye closed.